The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Father in heaven, we come to you and Lord, uh, we would shudder to come into your presence except for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that uh, you would teach us not to fear you in the wrong way, but to fear you properly because it is the beginning of wisdom and counsel and everything else. So please be with us in this hour as we consider this most important topic in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, this is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of counseling. Um, I have been involved by God's grace in the biblical counseling movement. Some of you know my testimony. Became a Christian through observing biblical counseling and seeing Jay Adams in action in the late uh, 1960s. And God was pleased to save me while I was in seminary have been involved in the biblical counseling movement ever since. So 77, 87, 97, 07, 40 years, okay? So that's a long time. Um, We live in dangerous times, don't we? Uh, Very dangerous times. Not just because of wars and rumors of war and what is happening. Uh, We all celebrate where it should, I think, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It's the 500th anniversary of Luther challenging the leaders of the church and saying, we've got to do something to kind of clean up our act. There is so much corruption and there are so many things that are wrong. Let's talk about these things. And in the midst of that, he comes to understanding justification by faith alone, through Christ alone, through the scriptures alone. Okay? And those are the the five solos, okay? Uh, that's the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was not wrong, wasn't perfect, but certainly it was something used of God, and we would not be true believers if it wasn't for that. But it seems 500 years later, we've gone through many dangers, toils, and snares, and it seems like the church is going backwards. <clears throat> into darkness, at least in, you know, Western Europe, the United States, praise God in terms of what's happening in Africa and Asia. But, but the massive blessings of the Protestant Reformation that really transformed uh, Northern Europe and the countries so that even pagans like Max Weber at the beginning of the 1900s, he wrote a book called The Protestant Work Ethic that really made a difference in uh, circles. We're not perfect in the West, certainly by any means, but certainly the political structure that we have in the United States was profoundly impacted. There's never been freedom like we've known it here in the United States, and that really does come out of that. If you go to Europe, as we do almost every summer, my wife and I, for missions work in the Czech Republic, you'll see uh, Europe is basically a wasteland. There are Christians. The gospel's going forward. People are being saved. But basically, Europe's going back to paganism. And you see it. Cathedrals closed everywhere, museums or whatever. And we know now, not that uh, we want to be racist or anything, but just just the non-Christian demographers are basically saying things like this. Um, 
<clears throat> what we know today as Italy and Spain and Portugal, those, ex those won't exist anymore. Why? Because they're not having enough children to even keep the population level, okay? And what's happening is we're having a lot of Muslims move in and you know the whole issue in France and, and England and elsewhere. So there really is a, a culture war, but it's really at, at root not a culture war, it's a religious war. Uh, Jesus Christ against other forces. And so uh, I don't know what you think, but as I observe, I think that's where the United States is headed. Uh, we're becoming a pagan nation. Okay? Uh, and and uh, again, I don't want to get into politics or whatever, but the last election shows us these are the choices we have. You know, um, whatever place you do, you have to be embarrassed, okay, that the United States is kind of, uh, Luther had this kind of saying, was he saying, I'd rather have a competent Turk than an incompetent Christian. Well, is that the only choice I get? Can I have a competent Christian, you know, to run things the way it ought to be? Okay, so that's what happened. Now, of course, the gates of hell will not prevail. Christ will win. But in the short term, things really look bleak. What's lacking in the United States, Western culture in general, and in the churches in particular? You can guess maybe from the title of this seminar what I think. I believe the key is the lack of a view of God's holiness and man's proper response to that holy God, which is what? The fear, the fear of Jehovah, the fear of the Lord. Most people who claim to be Christians, probably even us included, right? Our experience of God is closer to Mr. Potato Head than the God of the Bible, right? It's just Moses at the bush, right? Isaiah in the temple, Mr. Manoah at the rock, and Gideon. What's the reaction of every person in the Bible that's come face to face with the living God? <laughs> I'm undone. Isaiah goes, I'm undone. I'm going to fall apart. I'm just going to literally disintegrate before this great and awesome and holy God. Is that the experience that most of us have? Really, most, here, you know what Mr. Potato Head is, right? Anybody know, not know what Mr. Potato Head is? You've all seen that kid's game, right? You get a potato, and then you have all these plastic parts. And what do you do is you put in eyes, nose, ear, you know, and, and you get Mr. Potato. <clears throat> I would submit to you that even most supposedly evangelical Christians today are playing Mr. Potato Head. Ooh, I like love. Ooh, and I really love mercy and forgiveness. And put that in my view of God, right? Ooh, hey, put that nasty stuff on the side. Wrath, anger, holiness. Don't, don't give me that stuff, because that gives me the, the heebie-jeebies, okay? So what do we have? We have a God that's been edited by us. And that's not the God of the Bible, okay? And I think, I really think at core, that's the issue. And again, we, I'm stepping on toes, but you know, if I got to have Starbucks and all kinds of bells and whistles to get the people to church, at least the Middle Ages, Catholics and Protestants go, dude, I'm probably going to die of the plague. And when I die, I'm going to face God, and I got to get right with him. Today, right, if you ever try to witness to people, 
Sin, what's that? Sin, that's certainly politically incorrect. That's also now ecclesiastically uncollect, talking about that. So you pick and choose the attributes you like. Now, Satan is a little bit smarter. Okay, you probably know this passage, but look at James 2. <clears throat> Remember, James is arguing here. You, you, uh, you have faith in God, right? Huh? What good's your faith? Well, what do you mean, what's good's faith? We're saved by faith, aren't we? Yeah. But what kind of faith? And he says in chapter 2, a very interesting thing, at verses 18 through 20. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? That's 14 where the argument starts, and then it goes to verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show my faith by my works. Now here's the punchline for us. You believe that God is one? Huh? You do well. And James is being a little bit sarcastic here, I think. Even the demons believe. And what? Shudder. Just as an aside, talking to a pastor out in the Pittsburgh area when we moved out there about uh, eight, uh, ten years ago. And uh, he had somebody that he thought was demon-possessed, a woman in his congregation. So he knew of a Methodist pastor somewhere in the center part of Pennsylvania. And he said, I want to go out there and consult with this guy. I suppose he's supposed to be an expert, you know, in dealing with the demonic, you know. And so he was describing this woman and, and the like. And the guy goes, that's not demons. Well, why? She curses Jesus and she breaks out in anger and she says all these blasphemous things. And I thought the old Methodist pastor, something that was really wise, said, have you ever seen any demon in the Bible act like that? Did you ever see any demon in the New Testament badmouth Jesus? Oh, oh, oh. You come here <clears throat> before the time to cast this. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Give us. <clears throat> you never see a demon badmouthing God. Why? Because they are thoroughly orthodox, I would say. <laughs> Satan is a Trinitarian, five point Calvinist, and I'd add Presbyterian since I am one. <laughs> he. His theology is impeccable, his heart's heart. <clears throat> so, so the reality is, here are demons who have been in the presence of the living God, and they expect to be undone. And it's kind of interesting, even people who God forgives, like Isaiah, at first they think, I'm gone. So I, I want to submit to you, <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning and the end of counseling. Okay, over to Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> you have all these in your notes, uh, um, so you can follow this in, in the future and study it. Listen to how Paul thinks. For Paul, okay, he's talking about the grace of God and he's finishing <clears throat> up that. He's chapters 1 through 8, he's explained the gospel, <clears throat> salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And this is how we grow in sanctification. Here's the struggle, chapter 6, 7, and 8. And then 9 through 11 is what? i got to explain why, you know, why Israel's turned against, you know, Messiah. You know? And he goes, that's what you'd expect. Why? Because all of Israel are not of Israel. Just like today, all who are in the church are not really Christians. 
unless they're born again. So he says this, okay, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known, he's quoting Isaiah, who's known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor. There's our theme. Uh, right? Isn't that what you do when you uh, worry? Uh, dear God, now listen, this is what you need to do to fix this, you know. Excuse me, the God who created the whole universe and runs it doesn't need you to butt in and try to be God. Okay? Who's been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Hello, you can't obligate God in any way, shape, or form. Why? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I submit to you, that's what you need to think about when you go into counseling. Because your own heart and the heart of the counselees will pull you in kind of 20 different directions. And you need to go from him and through him and for him or to him or all things, including what we do here. Okay? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning and end of counseling. Uh, Think about this. Where do we start? I would submit to you that the Holy Spirit works in a person where? Conviction of sin. You know, sometimes we don't even hear that in biblical counseling circles anymore. There are other themes in the scripture, I know that. We are sinned against, but God doesn't, you know, put me before him on the judgment day and say, oh, I know you've been sinned against, so, you know, I'll give you a pass. There's only one savior for victim and victimizers alike, and we're talking about abuse, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, you think the victim would want salvation more, but that's not always the case. But the, it's, it's nine times out of ten, it's easier to work with the victim than the victimizer because of the pride issue. So, John 15 says, uh, you know, remember the vine and the branches. If you what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide, there's a circular, circularity to the Christian life. Where does it start? Oh, my word. <clears throat> I am undone because I'm a sinner. And I need the righteousness of Christ. And I need his blood to cover. He's the lamb of God. <clears throat> when you take communion, what are you doing? You're celebrating the body and blood of Christ. The body of Christ represents sinlessness. Now, how do I know that? Now, from Scripture, why? Because in the Passover, Passover is attached to what feast? The feast of unleavened bread, when every Jew had to do what? Clean out the leaven that represented sin for seven days. Couldn't even be there. You had it around, you were kicked out of the community. Christ, our Passover, has been Sacrificed. <clears throat> the perfect life of Christ is represented in the, in the bread. And his blood covers the doorpost so judgment passes on him and not you. That's what we're celebrating in communion. Right? So it starts with, <clears throat> I'm undone. I can't stand before the living God. Oh, my mercy, mercy. Not the 
publican, you know, and the Pharisee. One guy kept saying, the Republican and the Pharisee. <laughs> That's about four times, okay? <laughs> Slip of the tongue. But anyway, bottom line was, okay, the, the, the guy goes, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Okay, and that's when the love of God becomes precious. Why? Because I need, I'm naked. I'm not only naked, um, I'm, not, I'm not only butt naked, I'm filthy. To put it in feminine terms, I'm just this little baby that's got all the umbilical cord and gunk all over me, and I'm lying out in the field ready to die, and God comes along and goes, ugly little kid, but I'm going to love her. Rubs salt all over, cuts the umbilical cord. Remember that in Holy Ezekiel? She grew up and became beautiful. Her breasts started developing, and I married her, and she turned out to be what? Spiritual whore. But that's the love of God. And if you don't realize that you're a whore, you won't appreciate the Savior. The fear of God is the beginning, in a sense. Now, once you have that, you experience the love of God. And once you experience the love of God, you want to do what? And this is something that I think people are confused with, even in the biblical counseling. Why do I want to obey? To earn my salvation? No. As a what? A thank you. Because what? He is no longer my judge. He is my what? He's my father. He's my father. Now he has a pretty big belt, and if I don't, if I want to be butt stubborn, he'll give me the belt, but then he'll give me a hug afterwards. The point is, the fear of the Lord is what drives me into the arms of Christ, and that leads me to want to do his right. So in your notes, John 15 points out the true circular nature of redeemed life. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. If you keep them, you abide in his love. And God says in Deuteronomy elsewhere, there is forgiveness with me that you might, what? Fear me. So you see, it's a circular argument. In fact, literally, two or three generations ago, Christians were usually called what? God-fearers. I haven't heard... I haven't heard that term except in the theological circles or reading the scriptures. I, I'm, I mean, how many God-fearers do you have in your congregation? <laughs> you know, people don't talk like that today. Huh? So the starting point is a fear-driven repentance of faith. And to quote an old theological creed here, it's Westminster Larger Catechism. What is repentance unto life? Now listen to this, a good definition. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. It it's, it's helps me to become God's child. It saves me wrought in the heart of a sinner by what? The spirit and word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also the filthiness and odiousness of his sins and upon apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sins as he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. When I finally came to the Lord as the Holy Spirit worked in me in seminary, the fear of the Lord led me to want to see God pleased. Because up to that point, 
I knew I was a sinner, walked the aisle many times, asked God to save me, but what was missing? I'll tell you what was missing. The fear of God and the fact that my sin was against God. See? And maybe you've, go, you've lived under this too, right? Or even preached this way. Why do I want to get saved? Because nobody in the right mind wants to go to hell. Right? But what should be my primary motive? I'm not, you know, what Ed Welsh would say, I'm not a really true human being. I'm, I'm living like an animal. I'm not, I'm not worshiping God. I'm not loving on him because he loved me. He didn't make me a dog. He didn't make me a cat. I'm a human being made in his image. I ought to be what? Reflecting him, not some pagan idol or lust of my heart. See, see that's the, the primary motive. And when I became a believer, I began to realize God's a person. And when I sin, I actually grieve him. You see, my, see the difference? Oh, I, I blew these rules. You know, I always knew I blew the rules. Felt guilty for blowing the rules and kept breaking the rules. Why? Because I like to sin. And I didn't have the strength. But the point was, I wasn't saying with David, Psalm 51 against. What? There's a dead soldier, one of your best soldiers, because there's a dead baby, a violated wife, and what's David say? Against you, you and you only. It's not that the others were not sins, but in comparison, was God sin. He was guilty all along. Psalm 31, excuse me, 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51. We know David was a hurting shepherd. I said cowboy in the last thing. He's a shepherd, okay? He knows he's wrong, he's guilty, but he doesn't change. Why? Because he doesn't see the offense against God and against Uriah. And how ironic was it? Because Uriah was what? Not even a Jew. He knew the law, right? He wouldn't have sexual relations with his wife. Why? Because that would postpone him another day from going back to the battlefield where his buddies were out there with their life on the line. The fear of God. He didn't have the fear of God. And that's why he sinned. Okay, so uh, thus the fear of the Lord is the motivation, going back to the old phrases, uh, that's what fuels the put off and put on. Why do I want to put this stuff on? Because it offends, okay? Let's take a, a simple example for me. Now, why wouldn't I commit adultery? Because I'm thoroughly capable of it. We'll be married 45 years in July. The fact that I've been faithful to one woman is a miracle. Why? I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to grieve my wife. Why would I throw away 45 years of diapers, sickness, pukes, everything else that really makes marriage worthwhile? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. Sex is great, but that, that's not what makes marriage great. It's all the other stuff that you do together. See, see and that be sin against my wife and against God. That's different than, oh, I screwed up and broke the rules. I don't want to displease my Heavenly Father. See, there's the difference. He's my heavenly father. He's not my judge. Okay, so that's the fear of the Lord is the motivation that fuels the put off, put on dynamic. Therefore, you must learn the fear of the Lord. The fear of what, so here's the three points we'll go through quickly. The fear of the Lord, what it is and what it isn't. 
Secondly, the fear of the Lord, its implications for counseling. Not because this is a great seminar, but I, I believe this is probably one of the most important talks I've given in the last 40 years. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of counseling. It's its implications for counseling. And finally, the fear of the Lord, how can you teach it? How can you learn it personally, and how can you teach that to your counselees? So, so first point, the fear of the Lord, what it is. Let's, let's go negative first. What it's not. It's not an abject fear. <laughs> you know, where I freeze. Okay? There's an abject fear, you know. Now, I have a friend who's a decorated uh, vet um, from uh, Iraq, and he was a patrol leader. And one of his guys froze. He wouldn't go out and fight. There was a firefight. So he pulled his surface revolver and said, you can die here or out there, but you're going out to fight. And of course, that kid filed a complaint with the CO. You know, that that, and the CO said, be glad you're not court-martialed. The bottom line was, it was a fear that what? Froze him. That's not what the scripture means by the fear of the Lord. It's not a fear that drives you from God. It drives you to God. Moses at the bush, okay? The Jews at Sinai. Oh, oh, you go up there, Moses. This is so horrible, this trembling and this fire and smoke and oh, we'll die. You, you go up there and listen. Okay? Uh, the fear. The fear of consequences. See, that's important. The fear, oh, of what's going to happen to me. Remember the definition in the, in the catechism question? Not only the danger of the sin, but what? The filthiness and odiousness. This besmirches a holy God. This makes God, if I can say it respectfully, want to puke. Sin is an abomination. And it's not a fear that enslaves. We're going to come back to this. Sometimes even believers do this. There's an interesting one. I've never heard a sermon on this. I won't preach it now, but uh, any guys preachers here? Yeah, okay. It's going to challenge you to preach on this one. Uh, Zipporah. Remember her? You know who she is? Who? Moses' wife, right? Now, Moses has been at the burning bush, right? God says, you're all going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to deliver my, let my people go. You're going to tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses, I don't talk real good. And, you know, could you pick somebody else? Who made the tongue? Who makes people deaf and dumb? You know, I'll send you, okay, I'll give you Aaron, but you're going back, right? And what happens on the way? Anybody remember that? What happens? He didn't circumcise the boys. He's got two boys. He's going back to Egypt to do God's work and hasn't obeyed this. And what's Zipporah, his non-Jewish wife, do? She circumcised those boys and he takes the foreskin and goes, you're a bridegroom of blood. Now, I would submit to you, she had a proper fear of God. Moses didn't. Because <laughs> you can't do God's work without following God's way. Okay, so, so, uh, so it's not that. Again, the main picture is father versus judge. Now again, heavenly father, I should say. Because when I say father, for some of you all, you go, dude, if God's like my father, 
I'm out of here. So father, for some of you, is either a concept that has no, you know, because dad abandoned mom and you and you don't have any memories or some of you have some negative memories. But this is the father who sent your big brother to live and die in your place. This is the father that pours out his love on you. You know, you. Most of you are from Southern California, aren't you? No? Okay. Dude, you better rejoice in the good weather. Just come, come to Pittsburgh. Okay, no, okay. Go to Maine. <laughs> or go to Montana. The bottom line is God, God's sunshine, you know, shines here, okay? Uh, you can keep the traffic, but, you know, the bottom line is, you know. Uh, you see my point? God is kind as a father. Okay, now, a respect and awe of God's holiness, what it is. Power and love. Someone read, real quick, out loud, Exodus 20, 20. This is such a neat passage for many reasons. <coughs> because it has in it what my wife doesn't like that I do. Word plays. Someone read Exodus 20, 20 to us. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Okay, did you hear that? <clears throat> Isn't it kind of interesting, right? Don't be afraid. God is here to do what? We've heard that, you know, Ed Welsh saying that in Temptation. To what? Yes. Test you. Now, by the way, God knows what you're made of. He knows you'll fail the test without him, okay? But it's for your growth, okay? So he's here to test you. Don't be afraid because he wants to see that what? His fear's on you. Ooh, what is this? Well, in one verse, you have the bad fear and the good fear. What's the fear? I don't have anything to do with this God because, man, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be obliterated. Okay, the good fear is that God is offering a relationship to me and a promise to take care of me and get me out of slavery and get me into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And guess what happens when you don't like the promises of God? I couldn't get you in? Here's, here's the deal. You will die in the wilderness. Your kids will get in. The kids that you said I couldn't get into the land. So, so do you see the difference there? It's not the fear that freezes you and say, I want nothing to do with him. It is one that says, I want to please him. Oh, and by the way, I can't do it without a mediator. I need someone better than Moses. Praise God. We've got someone better than Moses, right? We've got someone better than Adam, the second Adam. We've got someone better than Noah. Jesus never got drunk, okay? We've got someone better than Abraham. That's uh, my sister. No, okay. You know, uh, better than, right? Better, better than Moses. And sure enough, better than David. See? The fear of the Lord leads to freedom, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 13, 4, I've got references that you can look there. Uh, God is uh, test you to see if you really love him with everything you have, and if you do, then that'll issue forth in your doing what he tells you to do. Never perfectly, of course, but he knows that you'll fail, and he has the sacrificial system pointing to Christ. Uh, <clears throat> but the bottom line is, your desire ought to be, I want to please him. The rest of the world 
doesn't get the relationship with God that I do. Wow, I'm special. I need to love him. Uh, Isaiah 8, uh, remember that famous passage where, where uh, Ahaz is afraid and God says to Isaiah, don't you be afraid of what they're afraid of. You fear me. See, the fear of the Lord, as we're going to come, is what? It frees you from other what? Minor fears. Now, I'll, I'll give you a human illustration. Maybe not the best, but my mom is a little, little late. She's with the Lord now. And uh, she was raised by an aunt because she was in a bad family situation. And her aunt, her aunt was pretty tough. If mom didn't do the floor right, you'd have to do the whole thing over again. So one day, my mom, a little mom, she was never five foot, you know, she's real strong. She came home crying from high school because some girl beat her up. Well, I'm not saying this is right. You know what my grandmother did? You're not going to be afraid of anybody. You're going to go down there and whoop her. Now, I don't think that's good, but, but here's the way it worked. My mom looked at my grandmom and go, oh, my word. I better beat that girl. Because <laughs> I fear my mom greater than that girl to beat me up. So she went back and she beat the girl up. Now, that wasn't good, but that's just sort of a human illustration of how a greater fear frees you from what? Minor, lesser fear. You're afraid of Pharaoh? Gee, look at him on the shore. He's not doing too much over there. He's kind of like lead. That's what your God can do. See, the fear of the Lord delivers you from what? These minor fears. Think about it. Someone slits my throat. What's that going to do? Send you to Jesus. I'll just be Jesus faster. It might be a little more painful than I'd like to, but the bottom line is, you know, you see my point? We don't see things from God's perspective. And the fear of the holy God who had to punish his own son for our sins should lead us to say, that's who I fear. And remember, that's in the, what I call the ordination sermon in Matthew 10. Don't you fear them that can what? Kill the body. Kill the body. And after they kill the body, they can do what? Nothing. Nada. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear him who after he kills the body can throw body and soul into hell forever. And that's God, not Satan. See, that's the dynamic. That's the fear of the Lord. Uh, we want to please him as our father. Actually, Christ will be filled with the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, I gave that seminar on the attributes of a, of a, a Christ-like counselor. The spirit of the Lord will be on the branch, the stump of Jesse. The spirit of what? Wisdom, discernment, counsel, and strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure. He had the fear of the Lord as no one else ever had. And so that's two, a motivation to avoid God's discipline and to please him as father. Think of Hebrews 11. And I, I use this in counseling for myself and others. <coughs> ah, why are you upset? Look at Jesus. He's sinless, and what happened? Even though he was a son, he what? 
He learned things through he suffered, right? And then comes that great quote from Proverbs, and it's called an encouragement. And you have forgotten the encouragement. God whips every son that he brings to glory. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, that's a great encouragement. God's going to whoop on me. Why? Because I'm not a bastard. I'm not an illegitimate child. I am a son of God. I've been adopted into his family. And guess what? I don't discipline all the kids on the block. I don't send all the kids on the block to college. I just do that for my kids. Okay? See, that's, that's the personal love. Okay, so you can go through this. A motivation to avoid God's discipline and please him as a father. Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 through 11, 18 through 29. Let us go outside the camp like Jesus. He was willing to go outside and, and be shamed and, and treated as a criminal. Uh, let's go out and identify with him, not with those that are not disciplined. And you know, friends, let me, this is an aside. Um, why don't I grow in grace? Because I wimp out so much. Right? God, yeah, I, I really believe this is why I don't overcome sin more. You have not yet shed blood in your battle against sin. Right? That's what it says in Hebrews. Now here's what I, I believe myself and others I'm counseling, when they get to the point is, I'd rather die than be a slave to sin. God's given me the spirit. I'm going to break this by God's grace. I can't do it myself, but he's going to help me. I would rather die of a coronary or a stroke. Are you that serious about sin? I'm usually not. I think that's why we don't grow. Why? Because we've got the Holy Spirit. We can, we'll never be perfect, but we can grow. So what do we do? I should embrace discipline. Because I want to become like Jesus, who suffered unjust persecution more than anybody that ever lived. And that's why we don't grow out of sin. So, so there, there it is. Now, the fear of the Lord, okay? Deuteronomy 13. Love God with all your heart, soul, and so on, keeping his commitments serving him with everything you have. Deuteronomy 10, walking in his ways, love him, serve him, keep his statutes. Okay? Therefore, love him with all your heart. Uh, Proverbs 8, hate pride and evil. That's the negative side. Proverbs 9:10, a blessing that starts wisdom. Insight comes from the knowledge of God, the Holy One. Proverbs 14, uh, this kind of fear of God does what? It protects you. Can't do that. I can't go do that because it will displease my Heavenly Father. And who are the great heroes in the Bible? It's usually this. O King, live forever. Our God can and will deliver us, but if He doesn't, we are not bowing down to your statue. Or, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Well, you figure out whether it's better for us to obey God. We're you. We're not stopping preaching. Those are our heroes. Why? Because they fear God. They go, whatever you can do to me is nothing compared to what my Heavenly Father will do. That's what my mom. Whatever that girl did is not going to compare to what my mom will do to me. Okay? The greater fear delivers you from the lesser fear. Okay? 
Again, the fear of the Lord is a treasure. So you see all this. You've got lists there. You can read these passages and look at them. The fear of the Lord lasts forever. Well, that's what the fear of the Lord is, okay? Well, second main point. The fear of the Lord, its implications for counseling. The lack of the fear leads to sin, doesn't it? Now, go back to Abraham. Why'd you lie and tell me this gal is your sister? Well, she is my half-sister, but uh, what was the grounds he gave? Because there's no fear of the living God in this place. So I figured you'd kill me for her. So the lack of the fear of God leads to what? Well, uh, gee, this tree looks good. It's going to make me why, you know, right? I, I submit to you, they lost the fear of God is what led Adam and Eve to sin. Well, yeah, they listened to the lie, so that was the setup for it. But the real is, hey, look, first of all, this is one thing I want to know. What in the world are they talking to a snake? Is this Narnia? <laughs> right? I mean, what are they talking to a snake for? Wait, what are, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean the God that we walk with in the garden? I think it was the pre-incarnate Jesus, okay? Uh, the angel of the Lord, he's walking in the garden. You're bad-mouthing him. What's wrong with you? Oh, you must be the guy that God warned us about. The bottom line is the fear of God. Let them get loose with the word. If you don't fear God, you won't love his word. Remember what Ed was saying. It's the word of God. Whether it feels good or not, we've got to follow the word of God. Okay? And so it's the lack of fear that leads to sin. Psalm 36.1. What's it say? Real quick. That's also interesting. Psalm 36.1 is picked up by Paul and quoted in Romans 3.18. There is what? No fear of God in their eyes. He's speaking of the wicked. The wicked says in his heart, let me see if I can get that 36.1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no God or fear of God before his eyes. And what comes out of that? For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. You see, he's, he sees his to act wisely. See, the, the whole dynamic that uh, Ed was talking about in temptation. The lack of fear of God leads to a looseness and sort of a cockiness. Well, we'll, we'll get away with this. Really? Gee, that's not real smart, okay? And Paul, in talking about all being sinful, right? Chapter 1, who's sinner? People that never had the word of God, right? The pagans. They're going to hell. Chapter 2, who else is going to hell? The Jews that have it but don't keep it. Then you get to chapter 3, well, then what good is it to be a Jew? And he says, much in every way. They have the covenants and the scriptures, etc., Huh? So all of sin then comes short of the glory of God. So and Paul's argument is he quotes Psalm 36.1 as what? As the basis of the sinfulness of human beings. Okay? Uh, chapter th um, 3.18. There is no fear of God before the rise. He's actually strung a bunch of quotes. You know, start in verse 9. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. Goes through that whole litany. And the final punchline is Psalm 31, uh, 36, 1. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
That's the summation of a heart that's hardened to God. So the lack of fear leads to sin. B, the lack of this fear leads to the bad kind of fear. Okay, let's look at some of these. Uh, maybe you're familiar with them. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man lays what? A snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So here, really, the trusting of God is the flip side of the fear of God. I, I, I fear him and trust him. I don't want to insult him. And, and that's what frees me, okay? So the fear of man lays a snare. Isaiah 29, 13, Proverbs 28, since we're right there, 28, 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are what? <clears throat> Bold as the line. Can you see the contrast? If you don't have the fear of God and, and wickedness is right in your heart, like Psalm 36, 1, what happens? You don't fear God and uh, you get snared. And what, you, what do you get snared by? Proverbs 10, 24. You get snared by fears, other fears. I think this is the right passage. I hope, hope it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's the one to the effect that what men fear will actually come upon them. Proverbs 10, 24. What the wicked dreads, right? That's a, a form of fear. What the wicked dreads, what? will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted. So, so you have this dynamic in Scripture. It's almost like this. Go, Son, you won't fear me? Okay, I'll turn you over to these other fears. Not that big dogs can't bite you <laughs> and people can't slit your throat. You know, but that's kid stuff compared to what? Being thrown body and soul into hell forever. Okay. So this fear of the Lord is so important because God gets, uh, more familiar to us is Matthew 25, right? Remember the parable uh, of the talents? What happens to the guy with the one talent? Remember the guy that five gets what? Five more. Then he got two, gets two more. And the guy with one goes, I knew that you were really a tough guy. And so I got afraid. And uh, so here's what I owe you. And what's the response? You might think he's being harsh, but he's like, you wicked servant. If you didn't know what to do with it, at least you could have given to the bankers and I could have got some interest. I gave it to you to use. But because of what? Fear, you went and buried it and didn't use it. You, you see the whole dynamic? It's almost like God goes, you got a choice. Uh, to uh, paraphrase Bob Dylan, remember back in his supposed conversion day? Gotta serve somebody. Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord. Remember that? Anyway? No, okay. Young generation hasn't grown up with this, okay. I know my voice isn't that bad, but somebody, okay. Okay, okay, so, right. So here's the deal. I'm going to paraphrase that. You got to fear somebody. You may fear the devil or you may fear the Lord, but you got to fear somebody. See, why? Because the bottom line is, beloved, we aren't gods. 
We're creatures made in the image of God, and we're going to either fear the real God or fear some substitute. Now, it's not that Satan doesn't have any power. It isn't that people can't hurt you. But the bottom line is they're pikers compared to God. And so the dynamic is if you don't fear the true and living God, you're going to become what? A slave to some other kind of fear. Why? Because we were made to worship God. And if we don't worship him, we'll worship a substitute. And it's really interesting, uh, Ed mentioned this, but there's a great dynamic in Matthew 6, that's the New Testament, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. You only can love one master, you can't love both. But the Psalm 115 is real interesting. Our God is in the heaven, the real God, right? But the nations, the gods of the nations are what? They are idols. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have noses, they can't smell. They have mouths, they can't utter. They can't walk. And then the scary thing that Psalm says, they that make them, what? Become like them. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Uh, Calvin calls our hearts little idol factories, okay? So if we don't have the living God in our heart and becoming like his son, Jesus Christ, that dynamic, then we'll have what? Another God and we'll become like that guy. So why do communists kill so many people? Because they're materialists and they don't believe there is a God. I don't want to pick on anybody because every, every culture's got their sins. You know, you ever seen what the Hindu gods are like? Bunch of dirty old men and women. Sex with animals and everything else. I mean, you wonder why that classically in Hindu culture there was an awful lot of uh, uh, pagan uh, ritual uh, sacrifice and, you know, sexuality in the temples. They that make them become like them. See? So the dynamic is, if you don't fear the living God, you'll fear something else. And the problem is, God will give you over to that fear and you become a slave. Remember it says in the New Testament, he gave over to a spirit of delusion. You don't want to know me? Fine. I'll give you over you know, to the desires of your heart. So you can see that that's the implication. The fear of the Lord frees from these bad fears. So, you can see the practical implication is directly for fear and worry, right? In your counseling. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of freedom from fear. Now, how do you teach them? Okay, and we'll end up with this and maybe have some questions. Isaiah 11:2. Remember Isaiah 11, the branch and the spirit of God, Jehovah will be on him, the spirit of, you know, wisdom and discernment, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's right there. Romans 8:15. The Holy Spirit teaches you to delight in the fear of the Lord as a child of God. Psalm 119:30, Joshua 1, you know. The Holy Spirit uses his word. This word shall not, book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You meditate on day and night and then be what? You be of good courage. I will be with you. The more you understand who God is and you fear him, the more you look at other people and kind of go, wow, wow, you don't like me? That's your problem because I'm representing Jesus. You don't like me? You got a problem with Jesus. Take it up with him.
I tell people all that in time counseling. If you don't like what I'm saying, as long as it's the Bible, you've got to listen. I, I, this is one, this is free, it's not copyright. I say, even if you think I'm a jackass, God used a jackass to rebuke a mad prophet. <laughs> so, as long as I'm not acting like an ass, you know, uh, and I tell you what the scriptures say, you've got to listen to me, even if you don't like the messenger. Bottom line is, the fear of the Lord frees, okay? The Holy Spirit uses the word. Now, here's the confession of faith. Uh, uh, I'll just read these quickly because there's a lot in here I think that's helpful in the fear of the Lord. What is saving faith? Well, confession of faith says this, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by or worked out by the ministry of the word by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, is increased and strengthened. So you're saved by grace, and hearing grace, grace, grace from the pulpit, you grow in grace. Two, by this faith, a Christian, and this is important, believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God speaking therein. And we could go into a whole seminar on this. And acteth what? Differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth. One, yielding obedience to the commands. You know, if the Spirit of God's working in you, and you read a command, guess what? You ought to go, yes, Father, I'm going to do that. If you're threatened, what should you do? Just don't go, well, I know you're my Heavenly Father, and there's no consequences. Hello, God threatens you. Now, people say God doesn't threaten His people. It's only grace. Yeah, read 1 Corinthians 11. Some of you are weak sick, and some of you are asleep. Not because they're long sermons, but it's a nice way of saying you're dead. And what's the reason? You don't discern the body of Christ. That's a threat. Am I wrong? Doesn't that sound like a threat? In fact, it's such a real threat that most people, when they start sinning, they don't come to communion. And that's not what you're supposed to do, right? Because if you don't come to communion, you're saying, I don't need the body and blood of Christ. Symbolically, right? He said, well, I don't want to take it and get sick and die. Well, there's only one alternative. Repent and come and take communion. I told that to somebody recently. He said, man, you helped me. I've been struggling with this for 30 years. It's a no-brainer. It's the Savior who says, I'll never turn you away, but you got to come back, okay? So the threatenings, you want to tremble at those, okay? And embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come, but the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Three, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. We are so anxious to give people assurance, right? When they're living in the midst of sin. That's not 1 John. You can read 1 John. There, there are several things in John that lead to assurance. One of them is forsaking sin. And of course, if you mess up, we have an advocate with the Father. But the point is, someone who's living in open sin. I had one pastor say to me, yeah, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, diss my wife, but I'm going to divorce her, and we're going to marry, and we're going to have a wonderful ministry together, this other woman and I. I said, you are? Really? Now, let me get this. 
You're sitting here and you're thumbing your nose at God saying, this is going to work, right? I said, do me a favor. I said, what? I said, you wait here. What do you mean? So you sit here and give me a 20-minute head start. I said, why? I said, because I want to get out of here. Because when God starts dealing with you, there could be collateral damage. <laughs> and I need to not be at the epicenter of this, okay? You know, and then you read them some passages in Deuteronomy and Hebrews and go, dude, if you, you want to mess with the living God, he, he's a consuming fire. This is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. Okay? So, uh, the fig- so, okay, then uh, along with this, though, uh, chapter 15, the next chapter is of repentance unto life. Listen, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace, the doctrine whereof is to be pre- preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. What did John the Baptist preach? What did Jesus preach? What did the apostles preach? Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the flip side of the coin. You have not really repented of your sins. You really haven't come to Christ. If you haven't come to Christ, you're not really repenting. They go together. And so it's got to be preached. Two, buy it a sinner out of the sight and sense, not only the danger, we've heard this before, but also the filthiness and odiousness of his own sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for, hates his sins, as to turn from them unto all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Three, although repentance be not, be, uh, although repentance be not to be rested in, as, as any satisfaction for sin, or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. You don't fear God, you're not going to leave your sin, you're not going to leave your sin, you're not going to experience the grace of God. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it cannot... Uh, that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Men ought to content themselves not with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. So the bottom line is, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, but you're going to run off with this woman into the sunset. That's the particular sin that you need to repent of. And finally, as every man is bound to make private confession of his sin to God, praying for the pardon thereof upon which and for the saking of them he shall find mercy. So he that scandalizes his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and to love to receive him. And love to receive them. Okay, so to finish up, uh, so we finish on time, you need to fear the Lord before you can counsel anyone. Brothers and sisters, if you don't fear God, you're not in any shape to counsel anybody else. It's that simple. Uh, you need to fear God and love Christ, okay? Uh, see my workshop that I gave on the attributes of a Christ-like counselor. The last one that Christ is going to have is what? The fear of the Lord. He's the quintessential example of one who feared God. You need true faith, repentance, and walking with God, too. You need to center your counseling on God, His fear, and His word. Why do people relapse? Because sometimes they just do the right thing for the wrong reason. Right? If I repent of my sin because it's offensive to God and I really rest in Christ, I'm going to begin to grow. If I just do it because I want to get the church off my back, I don't want to have a guilty conscience, 
I'm going to fall back into the sin. <clears throat> Three, study the above scriptures. Study them until you fear the Lord and study the following. And now again, uh, there's two books, The Fear of God, A Forgotten Doctrine, uh, which is in your notes. That was done as a demon project here at Westminster, California uh, by a Reformed Baptist pastor. It's an excellent book. <coughs> However, if there's one book that you should read, it's this next one. Albert Martin, The Forgotten Fear, Where Have All the God-Fearers Gone? I will tell you, brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the most significant books, if not the most significant book, that I've read in the last 20 years. Every one of you probably ought to get a copy and read through it and have a bunch of copies to give to counselees. If you want permanent, deep, radical change on people, it'll come out of this, of the fear of the Lord. I, I, think, I think you really need to get that book. It's uh, um, one of the premier uh, Reformed Baptist preachers in America. Okay? The lesson on fear, my intro to biblical counseling, if you contact me, gcipione at rpts.edu, I'll uh, send you uh, the uh, copy of my intro course, and there's a lesson on there on fear. Well, to end up, the biblical counseling must fear the Lord or die under the hand of judgment. This is what the biblical counseling needs, as well as the church at large in Western culture. There will be no change nor motivation to change apart from this fear. God have mercy on all of us. We need revival before Reformation. No party's going to save America, only Jesus Christ and a great revival. This was the lesson that we had 500 years ago, and that's what we read, need right now. Well, let's pray. We'll let you go to supper. I'll stay if you have any questions. Father in heaven, teach us to be God-fearers. Not as slaves, not as those who cower in the corner, but as sons and daughters who have experienced your love and your call to grace. And yet, Lord, you want us to be more and more like Jesus Christ, and that will only come through discipline. And only comes from discipline that is born in a true fear of you. Because then that fear, Lord, will embolden us to preach, to counsel, to live and die in a way that will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, like, uh, like uh, Peter and John. Or, Lord, well, just to, to sum it up, Hebrews 11. Lord, we all like the first five eights. Put foreign armies to flight and shut the mouths of lions and quench the flames. And then we get to that last part. Some were sawn in half and others lived in holes in the ground. We don't like that part of the chapter. But Lord God, every one of those people were approved because they had faith. Faith that was born out of a fear of you and a belief in your promises that led to imperfect but obedience out of the fear of you. Lord, that's what we need in our lives, in our counseling, in churches. Please give it to us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Copyright 2017, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org. Thank you.